Every one of us in this room, we've got dreams, things with all our heart we'd really like to do. But I promise you the only way to get there is to make today count. Start and be faithful in the small things. Well, good day, and I want to welcome you to There's Always a Way podcast. I don't know if you're jogging and listening to it uh, as you run, or you're on the treadmill, or on the bike, or if you're like me, if you're by the water cooler trying to recover from being on any of those other things. You may be in your car, maybe in your study, but I'm really pumped today to have what I believe is one of the most anointed, gifted I want to call him a young man. When you're my age, everybody's a young man, but he is still uh, right in the center of the best hope we have for reaching this generation. And I, I weigh those words uh, very carefully. Uh, that's a mighty big statement. This is Shane Pruitt, and Shane is the, the National Next Gen Director for the North American Mission Board. Now, that's a big fancy title, but it's also a great honor when the largest Protestant uh, uh, denomination says, this is the, the young man we want to lead our efforts in trying to reach the next generation, both in training and in motivation, as well as giving such a clear call. He's been in ministry 20 years, uh, he's been a church planner, a lead pastor, a student pastor, and of course, he's a denominational leader. He must be dying his hair because he, he ought to have gray hair to have done all that already. You may have read about him. He's been articles have been picked up and relevant in Christianity Today, Christian Post, Gospel Coalition, Crosswalk, Church Leaders, Baptist Press. Well, we could end right there. So, Sean. <laughs> Thank you for being with us today, and I'm anxious to delve into this very unique but anointed ministry the Lord's given you. Uh, thank you, Dr. J. That means the world coming from you, and man, it's such an honor to do anything with you. I'm a big fan, and uh, man, it's been great to just get to know you and become friends. So yeah, thank you for having me on today. Well, Shane, you are one of the most respected guys I know, and every time I go somewhere, They'll say, man, let me tell you who's getting it done, whether mm -hmm. it's a camp, whether it's a mega church, whether it's a church star. I mean, so I can't tell you how exciting that is. Uh, I've spent a lot of my life trying to encourage young people to, to uh, get their act together, give their heart and life to Christ and get on with an exciting new life and be a game changer. But when I hear about what all you're doing, buddy, I just... Uh, you know, it's kind of like watching my favorite team play. I just want to stand and cheer and yell, go. go oh, get so. Well, thank you, friend. Well, to God be the glory. I am an, I am an absolute knucklehead, so God truly gets the glory through it all. So thank you. Well, they also share that, but it's usually after they brag on you. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. We won't go into that. <laughs> I appreciate that. Shane, you've written two books. Your newest one is called Calling Out the Call. And I love that love the title. Uh, we all have read books where the title's been a lot better than the book, but this was not the case. Uh, it was an accurate title for what you were attempting to do. And so one of the things I wanted to talk about before we get delve into the book 
is share a little bit about your journey, how you came to know the Lord, and then what yeah. were the steps, you know, just step into a national uh, position in your denomination that's a leader for reaching the next generation, or step into some of the shoes you're stepping into in circles, there's been a journey. So tell us uh, about your journey. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I grew up in Texas, um, but did not grow up in church. Um, if you would have asked me if I was a Christian, I would have probably said yes, because I live in Texas, but I did not know the Lord at all. My parents didn't either. Um, my parents became believers when I was 16. So I started going to church when I was 16. Um, but uh, I would have a, uh, I would be at church and have a foot in that church world, but I was not living like a follower of Jesus. In fact, I was saying, in high school and college, my trinity was not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. My trinity was sports as an athlete, chasing girls, and partying. But at 21, God got a hold of my heart, and that's when I truly became a follower of Jesus. And um, at that time, um, you know, I say when I was lost, I wasn't just lost spiritually. I was lost in life. I was bouncing from job to job, relationship to relationship. I was, Dr. J, I was failing out of junior college. That's almost impossible, but I was doing it. Um, and so whenever a guy got a hold of my heart, Wait a all my, you, got, you got accepted at junior college. Yeah. Yeah. Barely. Yeah. It was, you know, it was one of those, uh, you know, programs where they were like, this guy's not going to get in anywhere else. We'll let him in here, you know? Um, and so, uh, so at 21, when God saved me, I really believed if God could save me, he could save anybody. So I started sharing the gospel with all my friends, but almost in an aggressive way. I called it ignorance on fire. You know, I had the passion, but not the wisdom of how to do it effectively. So every day I was telling them they were going to hell. Uh, Dr. J, they thought I joined the cult because we lived in Waco and that's kind of in our past in Waco, Texas, you know? And so they thought I joined the cult. So anyway, so one day my pastor just goes, hey, Shane, like, what are you going to do with your life? I said, I don't know. And he goes, oh, why don't you go to Dallas and go to Bible college until the Lord shows you what you're called to do? And uh, I didn't even know there was such thing as a Bible college. So at 21, I moved to Dallas, been a, a Christian for a couple of months, started Bible college. Here's all these Bible college students. They're there for ministry and they're doing what Bible college students do. They're debating Calvinism and Arminianism. I had no clue what they're talking about. I was still calling, you know, Psalms palms. You know, I didn't know anything. Um, but I had some professors start pouring into me and discipling me. So I always say at Bible college, I got a great degree, learned some things, but that's where I was discipled. While I was at Bible college, I really felt God calling me out to ministry leadership, specifically to the areas of preaching and teaching. Um, and so I was able to go back and tell my pastor, hey, I think God's calling me to ministry leadership and specifically to preach. And he goes, hey, I've known that. I've just been waiting for God to reveal it to you and you be obedient to that call. And then Jay, the next part scared me to death. He said, you're up in six weeks. <laughs> so it was, you know, a small rural country church where it's still Sunday morning service, Sunday night service, Wednesday night prayer meeting. Um, and so it was on a Sunday night. There's about 30 people there. I think 27 of them were my friends and family. I stumbled through Psalm 23. It took me about 14 minutes. I think I said amen 82 times, not even with the exclamation point, with the question mark looking for affirmation. I was like, the Lord is my shepherd. Amen. Listen, it was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Doing your way along. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. It was terrible. But I had a pastor that saw a calling God in my life. He discipled me. He gave me opportunities. He let me fail a lot, but disciple me through that. 
And then uh, a couple of years later, the Lord opened an opportunity for me to be a youth pastor um, at a very small church. And God was faithful. And we saw that youth group actually outgrow the size of the church. So on Wednesday nights, we had 150 teenagers in the church as a whole on Sunday morning would have about 70. Um, and then in that time, I uh, met my wife. Uh, we were engaged at the time. I was making $7,000 a year as a part-time youth pastor. And I'm like, well, I can't you know, support our family, you know, a new bride on this. And so through that, the Lord, uh, out of nowhere, a larger church in neighboring town reached out and said, hey, we want you to be our youth pastor, um, full-time salary, uh, insurance, and a parsonage. I was like, wow, like, man, I was like, wow, I didn't even know you could survive like that, you know? Um, and then I served at that church for a long time. After Hold that. on one one I want to just delve in there for just a minute because yeah. there's lots of youth pastors. Yeah. Uh, you know, you uh, one of the great uh, callings we have at Student Leadership University is the Youth Pastor Summits. Yeah. From, they're the gatekeepers and I believe Absolutely. Uh, I believe they hold the future of the kingdom in their hands. I believe they hold the future of America in their hands and the no future doubt. of that particular church in their hands if we yep. don't reach and keep this generation. So give me a couple things that you did, what you would say to youth pastors that are maybe just kind of getting started. How do you how do you get your head around being a youth pastor? What was major on this, these two or three things? How would you describe that? Sure. Yeah. You know, I remember when I became a first, you know, youth pastor, that first church I was talking about, I was so excited. You know, I'm thinking like, oh, I'm going to teach this doctrine and this theology and I'm going to teach this book of the Bible. And I remember uh, getting a call from um, a family with their daughters in our youth group. She was 15 and they go, hey, can we meet with you? And I'm like, yeah. And so, Dr. J, I remember I had my own office It is my first meeting with parents in my office. I was like, I have arrived. And I remember them walking in I, and I was like, they just want to meet me. They want to know what my vision is. Uh, they want me to draw out, you know, our mission statement and all that. No, they they were there to tell me that their 15 year old uh, just found out she's pregnant. Um, and so they wanted to give me a heads up. Um, that way, when she starts showing and people start asking questions, I'll be prepared how to answer it. And I was like, immediately, my world caved in because I was like, whoa, I wasn't prepared for that. You know, no classroom taught me that. And so sure. I would say if you're new in student ministry, um, quickly, if you can find yourself some veterans in student ministry, um, because there's so many things that we can learn from books and learn from classrooms and podcasts and all that. But actually the day to day, how to serve teenagers and to serve their parents well for the glory of God. There's so much of that that you can only learn by doing it and experience. So I would say surround yourself with guys who are a little further up the road than you and then ask them a lot of questions and take a lot of notes. Um, I think that was one of the biggest game changers in my life is when I just surrounded myself with some older youth pastors in the area. And I think sometimes we're, we're scared to uh, connect with other youth pastors in the area um, because um, if we're not careful, we can have a competitive nature to go, well, I don't want my students to end up in their youth group or, you know, and those kind of things. No, no, no. Listen, we're all one family, different locations that the student ministry down the road is not your competition. They are your family. So I would say surround yourself with some other student pastors in the area that maybe have a little more wisdom and experience than you and ask them a lot of questions. Yeah. Well, no question. So you, how long were you a youth pastor? 
Yeah. So, yeah. So I was there at that church for about three and a half years. And then at the church I went to where I was full time, I was the youth pastor for four years and then the teaching pastor uh, for three years. So we were there seven years. Uh, so, uh, you know, almost eight years of that as a youth pastor um, total. And then we launched out of that church to plant a church uh, that most people call C3 now. And we, I was the lead pastor of that church for six years. That church really took off. And then through that, God started opening the door, Dr. J, for itinerant ministry, where I started speaking at a lot of D-NOWs and camps and conferences, started doing a lot of things with our state convention, um, and then uh, went on staff at our state convention, uh, mainly at first coaching church planters. Um, but my heart has always been towards the next generation. I feel like I'm, I'm an evangelist at heart. So even then, I was like, I'm an evangelist who was a youth pastor. I was an evangelist who was a church planner and lead pastor. And so I uh, started overseeing evangelism for the state of Texas for that state convention. And then uh, three years ago, the North American Mission Board, which is a national entity for the Southern Baptist Convention, um, um, the president, Kevin Azell, uh, just loved him through the years. He's been such a great mentor in my life, asked me to come on and oversee all next gen for the North American Mission Board, which means I get to oversee all of our next gen ministries to young adults, college students, teenagers, lead that team. We have different people on the team that focus on different areas of that, but get to oversee that movement. And we love students, but really, Dr. J, what gets us out of bed uh, each morning is exactly what y'all do. So I love SLU so much and YPS is, is really we want to be a help to those who are on the front lines. So we want to equip those next-gen leaders who are equipping and mobilizing a generation. So I love my job. I think I have the best job in the world. Yeah. Well, I tell you, I think you do too. And uh, I'm grateful you have uh, all the energy and the passion you have because uh, I don't think the need's ever been greater. Uh, Absolutely. I heard that a hundred times and I know all those that came before me have heard that. So I think that's part of being called to reach a generation. But I do think uh, you don't have to be listed in who's who to know what's what. Yeah. We're in the latter the latter innings, it seems, or getting close to overtime, if you will. Yeah. So I, I want to ask you, uh, you know, uh, before, you know, you went to the denomination, you became known as a, a reaper, a harvester. You you had the gift of evangelism, and so not only were you passionate, and for me, uh, I know what what it's like when the Lord does something that really you can't explain. You can't sure. take. It'd be great to be able to take the credit for it, but you know, and I know, there are times that maybe you feel like you preach the stars down, and and not that much happened. And then there's other times yeah. you, you got the plague and you're exhausted. And yeah, but for some reason, the wind blow. I asked Vance Havner one time, mm -hmm. you know, that, the legendary Vance Havner. He was in his uh, late 80s at the time. And we we're having a revival. And I'd had several crusades or uh, revivals where we had to extend the meeting several days. So we'd been on Incredible. a road. God was really working. And then I get to this huge uh, First Baptist Church, and I promise you, I couldn't buy a decision. You know, I'm, <laughs> sure. you know, I'm, I'm trying yeah. to have pizza party on Sunday night, you know, instead of mm -hmm. Thursday night. I mean, you know, yeah. I'm I'm dressing in drag doing the hula, <laughs> and I can So after two or three days, I get this opportunity to meet Vance Havner, and humanly, I wanted I wanted the Lord to really bless that week. 
because I wanted this great man of God to know the influence he'd been on me, but I wanted, you know, I just humanly really wanted to have a great meeting in his church. Yeah. And I, I just asked him, I said, sir, I don't know what's going on. I can't, you know, and he said, well, Jay, first of all, it's been a long time since the Lord's moved greatly in our church. So that mm. helped me feel better. And he said, <laughs> but God's using you. But then he said Amen. something I'll never forget. He says, the Holy Spirit is like the wind. And where it comes from, where he comes from, we don't know. And where That's he right. goes, we don't know. Yeah. He blows where he will. You know, that passage out of John. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the most comforting, uh, assuring things I'd ever heard that it really, I didn't have to have so many decisions. I wanted right. still to have them. I wanted my motive to be pure and in my sincere desire of urgency. But that was a, that was a verse that absolutely helped change my life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I love that. And I think if you can legitimately for lack of a better term, take the pressure off of yourself for people to respond. It's so much more freeing because ultimately salvation is up to the Lord. Uh, life change, repentance is up to the work of the Holy Spirit. And so it's just our job through the power of the Holy Spirit to clearly articulate the gospel as clear as possible. We don't want any confusion and to give a clear gospel invitation. That's what we can do and trust the power of the Lord to do the rest, you know, but yeah, Dr. J, I, I'm sometimes I'm the same way. It's like when you see this unique, special, overwhelming movement of God to where like the altars are flooded and, or people just keep coming or, uh, you know, there's the decision tent outside and there's a line waiting to get in. Uh, I don't know if it's my flesh or just me being my own. I start self-reflecting and go, did I manipulate? Did I do something wrong? It's almost like the bigger the response is, the more I question myself. Did I do something wrong or did I manipulate? You know, yeah. that's a, that's a great that's a great yeah. word. Well, this is a good time for me to ask you what I ask all of our guests and especially authors that I respect. Uh, the key phrase for me in my life has been there's always a way. Love it. And so I'm interested when I get influencers and men and women that God's greatly using. What is the first thing, Shane, that pops into your mind with your ministry experience and your real world experience, you know, all the things you've been through? Uh, what do you think of when you hear the phrase or read the phrase, there's always a way? Yeah, I love that. So the media, the first thing that came to mind, and I know you ask all your guests this, and I'm sure. Uh, everyone else has said a much better answer that I'm going to give you. But the first thing that just came to mind, honestly, was 1 Corinthians 10, 13, um, where that great promise to us that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So no matter what the enemy throws at you, no matter what temptation comes your way, um, wow. you know, my I remember my dad used to say like, you can't control often the temptation that comes to you, but you can control your response. And so to know the Lord is faithful, even when temptation comes and there's always a way of escape to the glory of God, you don't have to fall to that temptation. So I just stand on that promise. Yeah. Amen, buddy. Well, that's a, that's a great, great word. Before we dive into the book, you do speak to tens of thousands of young people. Give us a state of the union. Shane, I know you uh, want to be optimistic and encouraging and, yeah. you know, all the 
all the things that you have to be as a leader in, in, in trying to motivate so many to get busy about sharing the good news. But what is your state of the union? What do you, what do you, where do you think we're at with reaching this generation? Give sure, us yeah. some suggestions, some insights. Sure. Yeah. If we, if we just talk about Gen Z alone, you know, and if you were to read Dr. J, you're an expert on this, you know, like if you were to read 10 different definitions on who Gen Z are, you would get just that 10 different definitions. So just at the time of this conversation in early part of 2023, when I think of Gen Z, I think of those that have just graduated college in college high school and middle schoolers. So when you think of like teenagers or college students, Gen Z, um, they're the largest living generation, according to Business Insider, roughly 72 million. But also statistics show us as they've gotten older and we've gotten more data on them. So many um, surveys and studies have shown us that they're the least religious generation that we've ever seen statistically in the United States. Um, so I think some of the things that we see a changing dynamic, even in the South, you know, I live in Texas, you live in Florida, but you and I both are all over the nation. So we see it is um, there really is no Bible belt when it comes to Gen Z. What I mean is the Bible belt has busted with spiritual lostness when it comes to Gen Z. Um, you know, I ran into a 19 year old not too long ago. That was a waiter in Dallas, Texas, where Dallas, there's a mega church every, you know, feels like every hundred feet. 19 years old, lived in Dallas his whole life, never been in a church building, had little concept of God, and has never physically held a Bible in his hand. So when Gen Z, spiritually lost, vastly spiritually lost, uh, we know they're depressed. We know they're anxious. Um, we know mental health is a very real issue. Um, there's a lot of confusion over sexuality, a lot of confusion over gender. Um, what they've done is they're coming to the end of themselves at a much earlier age. Uh, I would say the pandemic didn't necessarily create new problems. It just poured gasoline on the problems that were already there. So young people are coming to the end of themselves at a much earlier age. They realize the world's broken. On some level, they realize they're broken. So I think that's why depression rates are higher. Suicide rates are higher. Uh, opio you know, opioid use is higher. Um, uh, anxiety is higher. But that's where there is a gospel opportunity because they are looking for hope. They are looking for answers. They are looking for truth. And as the church, if we won't be distracted by nonsense, if we'll keep the main thing, the main thing, and we'll go in and go, listen, hope has a name. Joy has a name. Truth has a name. The answer has a name. It's a name above every name, Jesus. Uh, there is a potential for a great harvest. Um, you know, I, I, you know, obviously I refer to Gen Z as Gen Z publicly because that's what culture understands. But really with, with friends and our team, I've been referring to Gen Z now for over probably a year and a half as the revival generation. Now it's currently a prayer request, but I pray it would be a, a reality. And I am seeing sparks of it. I try not to throw around the word revival too loosely, but I am seeing sparks of it across the nation. I just pray it will turn into an inferno. So there, when you look at it and go, man, there's so many agendas on that generation, so much confusion. However, there is an opportunity for the gospel because they are looking. And I think J Dr. J in a positive light, I think Gen Z is realizing um, that self-help is a bunch of nonsense because they, they're really the self-help generation because they've been told their whole life, believe in yourself, follow your heart. There is no absolute truth. You have a truth. I have a truth. They have a truth everywhere. True truth. And they're all equal. Um, you know, they've been told, you know, like you determine your sexuality, you determine your gender and all those kind of things. And I think they're seeing, starting to see through that. 
And that's where we get to slide in and go, listen, self-help is not going to solve your spiritual problems because you'll always feel like something's missing as long as someone is missing. And then we get to point to the beautiful gospel. Listen, the reason self-help doesn't help is because really the problem with self often is self. And if self's the problem, self can't be the solution. You need someone outside of self. His name is Jesus. So I would say all these things are starting to run to the end of their gamut. And I pray that we have the gospel that are waiting for them when they reach the end of that gamut to go, listen, here is the truth that you've been searching for and hoping for. Uh, and his name is Jesus. So I would say when you look at it, it seems dire, uh, but we have a God who often thrives in situations like that. And Jay, I kind of compare it and gosh, I mean, I've heard you even share about the Jesus movement. If you look at the cultural climate of the 60s and the cultural climate of today, there are so many similarities with political polarization, racial unrest, uh, the sexual revolution. Well, in a sense, LGBTQI plus is a sexual revolution. Um, there's the gender confusion, all that. That was around in the in the 60s. So it looks very similar. And then what popped out of the 60s? There was a group of young people that ran to the end of themselves and they began to go, man, there's nothing here for us. And they started searching for something bigger. They ran into Jesus. And then we saw the Jesus moving out of that. Here's what I'm praying. Lord, do it again and do it like we've never seen before. Yeah. Well, no, no question. Uh, somebody that I know we both respect, Greg Laurie has. Uh, of course. Yeah. On the Jesus movement and is about to yep. be a film that'll be hitting. And, uh, you know, I give him a hard time because I tell him he had the watered down version. It was the California version of the Jesus, <laughs> uh, the real Jesus. But anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, but the fruit seems to speak for itself in Greg's life and, and ministry. Yep. But God, I tell you, I, I love the way you described it. And I love the phrase that they they know almost everything is broke and they know they're broke yeah and uh, so the good news is uh, we know the only answer to that and that is jesus and i yep. think and so that's why it brings us to your book and your title mm -hmm. i think there was a real a strategic way that you laid out your book uh, you start with calling out the callers. So, mm -hmm. uh, what do you mean by that? What is the, what was, tell us behind the, the title, how you came to the title, calling out the cult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you look even at statistics today, uh, according to Barna research, and then specifically David Kinman wrote on this is, um, around 1992, you know, the median age of Protestant leaders, um, were, uh, you know, around, you know, 55, you know, or around uh, 45, excuse me. And then uh, a third of all Protestant leaders were under the age of 40. You fast forward to 2017, I would submit it's even worse now. These are even dated when you think of six years ago. In 2017, uh, the median age of Protestant leaders has now jumped to uh, around 54. And then here's the real sobering aspect is, less than 15% of all Protestant leaders are under the age of 40. That was in 2017. I bet it's way worse now because even the eye test alone, Dr. J, through the pandemic and since the pandemic, we, there, the eye test alone just shows that there's more people leaving ministry than entering ministry. Um, and But here's what I believe. 
that God has not stopped calling people to ministry leadership. God has not stopped calling people to the mission field. I think we as current leaders have stopped calling a whole generation to consider if God is calling them. Um, and, you know, I'm not always like, I don't want to be the guy go, hey, we got to go back to doing it like we used to. But Dr. J, I, I remember even my pastor that I got saved under and called to ministry under like it was a pretty regular routine for him, even on Sunday mornings as a part of the invitation to go, hey, maybe some of you in here, God's calling you to ministry and you just realizing that today and you need to surrender that. Some of you, God's been calling you for a while. You've been running from it. You need to surrender to that today. And he and he didn't do it every Sunday, but it was a pretty regular rhythm, maybe every four to six weeks where there was an opportunity where he was just calling out the call to respond. Um, and now you think, when is the last time you've seen that done in a local church? Hey, we do it at maybe youth camps. We might do it at some conferences, um, but we're not doing it in our local churches. And I'd say one of the first things we got to do is just get back to calling out and giving an opportunity for people to respond. Because I think there's a generation that God is calling them. They don't maybe realize it yet because no one's put it in front of them and they would respond if they have the opportunity. But we as current leaders aren't necessarily giving them the opportunity to respond. So that's the big picture behind the book is God hasn't stopped calling out the called. I think we as leaders whom he's calling out to call out the called, we're not doing it and we got to get back to doing it. Yeah. All right. Shane, when you um, are preaching, I mean, obviously God's given you the gift of being a harvester and evangelist. You're seeing lots and lots. I mean, just one of the most exciting ministries I know of for those that love reaching students. So, uh, I, I, and I mean that you are, God's got his hand on you. And, but yet I love the fact that as passionate as you are about that, you're going, you know, there's another part because mm -hmm. I yeah. can't do it by myself. That's right. you know, and, uh, and, and even though there's others that, you know, and love that are, that God is greatly using, it still seems like it's a handful. You know, so yeah. I love the fact. So how do you, while giving such a strong invitation, they're seeing men and women and teenagers come to know Christ in, in tremendous ways. How do you then give us an example for our youth? How do you segue into, in the midst of that invitation, give us an example of how you would break down, is God calling you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I love that. Um, you know, I, I think first of all, we trust the spirit to know that the spirit in us wants to see people come to know Jesus even more than we do. I mean, think about how wild that is to trust the spirit and his work in you. And then to know that ultimately God is the one doing the calling. We just may be the vocal mouthpiece for it. So it's truly God doing the work. You know, I even love, you know, first Corinthians. I really rely even in preaching and giving an invitation. I really rely on first Corinthians five or, or second Corinthians five twenty when it says, you know, um, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We, uh, you know, we plead with you to be reconciled to God, but even that middle part, God making his appeal through us, God making his appeal through us. That it's really God doing the invitation. It's God calling out the call. It's God calling people to be reconciled to him. It's God calling the people to ministry leadership. 
And uh, we're just ambassadors for that. So he's doing the work. So I would say, first of all, to remember, there's such a great need. Like I was mentioning a while ago, with fewer and fewer young people surrendering to a call ministry and us equipping to disciple them. Dr. J, it's like, you know, both of you and I are sports fans. It's almost like we're a baseball team. And we don't have a farm system right now developing the next generation of ministry leaders on a large scale. Now, there's people doing great, incredible things like y'all are the best at doing it. There's people doing incredible things, but I'm talking about on a large scale as the church. So we have to get back to it. So here's what I here's the here's the cheat code for invitations. All right. Here's the cheat code for invitations is I really heard Billy Graham say this is that in an interview, he said that he would prepare his invitations like he would prepare his sermons, meaning like it wasn't by the seat of his pants. It wasn't in the moment, like before he ever got into the invitation part, he knew exactly what he was going to say. He knew what scriptures he was going to reference. Just like, hopefully we would never get behind the pulpit and preach a sermon that we wasn't prepared for. But I think what we tend to do sometimes is we'll be uber prepared for the sermon and we have not prepared any for the invitation. So when we do that, we stumble through it, uh, we ramble, uh, we're confusing. If we're confusing, there will be confusion in the people who respond. And so I would say prepare ahead of time, know exactly what you're going to say, know exactly how you're going to transition. Um, and so what I do is if I'm given an invitation on salvation and a calling to ministry in both, I, I'll usually always go the salvation part first to go, hey, we've been talking about serving, we've been talking about sharing your faith but you can't give away somebody you don't have yourself. So maybe the first person today that needs to surrender, first person that needs to respond to the gospel um, before even your friends or your family is you. Do you know Jesus? And then, you know, so, and then we'll go, hey, here's the deal. And I'll make it clear, Dr. J. Listen, God's called all of us, not just some. God's called all of us to know Jesus and make Jesus known. God's called all of us to be the church. It's not just the job of the professional Christians. God called all of us. But in the scripture, it's very clear that God has called some to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to lead the body of Christ, to give their life away to the mission field. And maybe God's calling you to that and know this, like you just need to say yes. And maybe you know specifically how God's calling you. Maybe you go, God's called me to be a pastor and you know that. Right. Or maybe he hasn't revealed it to you. Maybe you just feel God's calling you and you need to just say yes. And that's your first step in journey in this. And going, when you're saying yes, no, you are committing to being discipled. And then these leaders are committing to disciple you in this process. And so I think, especially with the calling out the call, that you're making it very clear up front what they're committing to. Because to say you're called to ministry, that's a big thing that can really change the trajectory of your life. Um, and even if you run from it, um, you're always going to struggle, I believe, if you're running from a call in ministry on your life. So I want to make it, we need to make it very clear what that means. So I'll do this, Dr. J, with invitation of salvation. Sometimes I'll do the bow your head, close your eyes. Um, but when it comes to calling out the ministry, I'll intentionally say this, Dr. J, I'll say, hey, we're not bowing heads, our heads and closing our eyes. This is heads up, eyes open. This is a bold call. And so if you believe God's calling you, you need to respond to that boldly, because it's going to take boldness and the power of the Holy Spirit to do this, you know. Wow, great, great word. Uh, something, you know, uh, one of my uh, uh, challenges when I have somebody like you on is when I get all fired up, you know, I want to, I want to start, uh, you know, uh, ranting and raving and, and uh, <laughs> do it, do it. No, no, but I will. I did think of something. I remember I went back to my hometown to pastor 
and I'd been doing crusades and, uh, you know, the, the Lord had, had really blessed, uh, I'd been in the ministry. Uh, I was maybe, uh, uh, 26, 27. So I've been in the ministry five or six years. Uh, so I go back to my hometown and uh, this reporter interviews me. And our high school was called Marijuana High when I was there by the, go the governor <laughs> of the state. And, and, you know, I was this junkie that had gotten saved and was always in trouble. Awesome. And so <laughs> this reporter says to me, she says, I'm really uh, kind of interested in, you know, you coming back to your hometown. Mm. And uh, she said, was that hard to do? And I explained the pulpit committee, you know, at this church, it was a yeah. large church. And yeah. uh, a gentleman uh, that was on the pulpit committee had been just elected sheriff, uh, but he hadn't been sworn in yet. You know, you have the election and then the, you know, you get the swearing in. So it was the in-between but he'd been elected sheriff. This guy had been chief of narcotics. He had busted wow. me six times. <laughs> and I go walking into the pulpit committee. There was another lady Incredible. who chased me off the porch with a broom. She had three of the <laughs> most beautiful daughters in Southwest yeah. Florida. And, and so I would drop in every now and then, you know, yeah. and she chased me off, said, I never want to see you back here. So I walk in and those are two people Wow. And, and I'm going, Lord, this is going to be the shortest interview in the history of me. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I get called, obviously, to be the pastor. And then so this reporter goes, you know, I'm really surprised. You know, that verse in the Bible, a prophet has no honor mm. in his hometown. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right? of course. And I'm just wondering what it's like to come back. I said, ma'am, let me just say this from the get go. If I came sashaying back into Southwest Florida going, <laughs> it's all right. The prophet's here. Yeah. I got all the answers. Hey, I said, no, ma'am. I said, there's a story in the Bible of a guy that had an unclean spirit. He mm -hmm. was chained. He was cutting himself. He was trying to destroy himself. Yeah. And Jesus changed his life, transformed him. Wow. And he said, Jesus, I just want to follow you. And he said, no. I want you to go back to your family and friends Incredible. and tell them what great things. So I said, ma'am, I didn't come back to be the prophet. I'm the guy with the unclean spirit half out of my mind that Jesus saved and healed. And he said, Jay, if you could go back and talk, to, who do you care the most about? And so I came back to my hometown. So I'm just here to say, hey, man, it's real. He'll do for Incredible. you greater things than he's done for me you know so but that's what came to mind when i heard the way you yeah. wrote oh, i love that dr j yeah i'm not an emotional guy i don't cry but man that jarred me that what a great testimony what a great story wow what yeah. do you say to somebody wrestling with the call shane i know you know i love mm -hmm. the way yeah 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 and yep. I think you talk about billy graham being deliberate i think you really must have spent some time because you really do break down the yeah, chapters yeah. in this book. Yeah. Kind of the process of what you go through to figure out, are, are, am I called to do that? Or yeah, is yeah, there yeah. a call in my life? So yeah, yeah. obviously you do a good job calling out the callers and you just broke that yeah. down. But your first chapter is wrestling with the call. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and 
So that's always the question up front, right? Before you start walking in that calling and being disciples, like you got to go, am I called? You know, and so one thing we do want to make very clear is that um, what I think in, in the Bible, when you're wrestling with the call, you see three callings, three clear callings. And you can see all three of them actually in Ephesians 4 is that first of all, you got the Ephesians 4, 4, and, uh, 4 chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, where there's a calling unto hope. Right. So there's a calling for salvation to be reconciled to God, a calling into hope. And then the second type of calling you see in the Bible is what we'd call a universal calling. Now, not universalism, that's a heresy, but a universal calling, meaning that every believer is called to a ministry of reconciliation, to, to know God and make God known. It's not just your pastor's job to tell people about Jesus. It's not even just your job as a youth pastor to tell the high school about Jesus. Like it's all of our jobs. It's all of the students' jobs who have been bought by the blood of Jesus and have the Holy Spirit of God. Um, you even see that in 2 Corinthians 5, 2, 17 and 18, where we're, we're a new creation, the oldest pass away, behold, the newest come. And then verse 18, he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. Well, who did he give the ministry of reconciliation to? All those who are new creations. So we all are called to ministry in that aspect. So there's a universal calling on every believer. And then the third type of calling you see in the Bible um, is like Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, where there's a unique calling on some to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, the saints for the work of ministry, you see that universal calling on all saints for the work of ministry, but there's a unique calling on some, you know, in verse 11, Ephesians 4, 11, you know, it says, and he gave some to be prophets and some to be teachers and some to be preachers, evangelists, and so on and on. But you could just lump that together and God called some to be leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And you see that all through the Bible. You see it in Jeremiah, Isaiah, Deborah, Phoebe, Timothy, Paul, so on, right? I, the point we're kind of making here is that we got to do all three of those. I think a lot of times we'll, you know, we'll faithfully call people to a calling of hope to be saved, or we'll, we're even saying, hey, you know, missional living, we're all called to live on mission. We're all called, you know, every member of a missionary, every member of a minister is true. What we got away from on a large scale is that unique calling on some to ministry leadership. And I think that's why we have a calling leadership void because Jay, you get the same calls I do. I get three to five calls a week from churches going, hey, we're looking for a youth pastor. Or we're looking for a college pastor. We're looking for a pastor. There seems to be that your, void. Just give them your number. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, myself. Thank you. That's why I get all those calls. Thank you. Um, so, okay, wrestling with the call. I'd say for an individual that's asking the question, how do I know if I'm called? Uh, what we say in the book is that there needs to be three affirmations. Now, you don't need one of the three. I think you need all three. Uh, so the three affirmations are this, an inside affirmation that comes from the Holy Spirit himself. You need to be called by God, right? Because you want God called leaders, not grandma called leaders, right? Because we were all told by our grandmas we were going to be the next Billy Graham. <laughs> that didn't work out for any of us. You know? yeah. yeah. So we don't want grandma called leaders. We want God called leaders. Like if God hasn't called you to ministry leadership, and you jump into ministry leadership, it's not going to go well for you, right? So that needs to be that inside affirmation that only can come from the Holy Spirit. Then the second one is what I would call an outside affirmation. I think that's we as leaders can be involved in that. That's where there's trusted leaders in your life, trusted men and women, trusted mature saints of God 
who are speaking into you going, Hey, I see this in you. Do you see it in yourself? Hey, you have a love for the church. You have a love for the word. You love making disciples. You love leading. God's gifted you. Do you see that in yourself? And sometimes God will call people through that outside affirmation through others, right? That he's confirming through others, what you're feeling on the inside. And then thirdly, what we call a opportunity affirmation. I really believe this, Dr. J, when it comes to this unique calling to ministry on some, you don't have to chase ministry because in a sense, ministry will chase you down. So like, is God giving you opportunities to lead? Is God giving you opportunities to minister? Is God giving you opportunities to serve? Because sometimes calling reveals itself in serving. You're serving the church and go, I love this. I want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to give my life away to this. So calling is revealing itself in serving. So I'd say you need to have all three, not one of the three, not two of the three. I think you need to have all three inside affirmation, outside affirmation, opportunity affirmation. What a great job, man. I love the way you broke it down. I've always kind of struggled with, you know, I'm tempted to say a lot and I don't always say what first thing comes in my mind. I've learned, Jay, uh, take a stutter step. <laughs> but, uh, but I would say, you know, if you're the only one that senses you're called, you know, it may not be time yet, you know, and uh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But you broke it down in a far more effective way. Uh, there are those, but I, I know for me, the night, because I didn't grow up in church and yep. you know, I was saved in the Jesus movement. So that was, we didn't mm -hmm. want anything to do with the church because they didn't want anything to do with us. Right. Yeah, sure. And sure. so, uh, but I never will forget there was a man teaching uh, Old Testament survey, New Testament survey. And uh, the young lady I was dating, who's now my wife, suggested that since I'd been turned down by all these schools, because little my drug record and mm -hmm. range, and you know they sure. count how many days you go to school. I go figure. <laughs> and so I, I didn't have many prospects. She said, if yeah. you take this extension course, you know, maybe prove you could do the work. So this man began to disciple me. I didn't know what he was doing. I thought he was, I didn't know mentoring or discipling. I thought he was just lonely. And <laughs> yeah, so, he needed a friend. Yeah, yeah. needed a friend. So I'm going to help the old guy out. And maybe I'll get him. <laughs> but so anyway, uh, I never will forget one night. I, I really sensed God wanted me to do something. I didn't know what it was. And it was the proverbial, I'll go to Africa. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, I got a phone call from this guy, Dr. Williams. He was wow. associational director of missions, we call him today, I think, or mm -hmm. DIA. Anyway, I'm, I'm dyslexic. I can't get all the initials lined up in SBC. But uh, anyway, he called me and said, Jay, I, I really hope you'll say no to this, but God keeps telling me I'm supposed to ask you to go to Immokalee and, and speak wow. at the church. And Immokalee was the town chain that we went through to get to the concerts in Miami. And yeah. it was a migrant town and it was redneck city. And that's the, we weren't saved, but mm. we'd pray our car would not break down because we were all long hair. <laughs> yeah, for sure. for so sure. I get asked to go this church. And I still had hair to hear. He said, you got to get a haircut. So I got about an inch cut off. And uh, <laughs> so I went, there's 17 members. Mm -hmm. and, uh, they didn't even say hello. They didn't want us there. And a few minutes later, somebody said, well, Dr. Fred's supposed to send somebody to preach. And I, they go, oh my mm -hmm. gosh. So they, they had to have a meeting in the back. They had a quorum, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And yeah. they said, look, it's, he's got 10 minutes. What harm can the kid do? 
Yeah. And about seven people came forward. I'd never seen that before. Incredible. Wow. And uh, they were crying. So I thought, man, I've done a bad job. I mean, oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. they're yeah. crying. I mean, I only had seven minutes. I mean, and people are weeping. And and I said to the guy, wow. what did you do to what you raved your arms and start? I'd never seen an invitation. So mm -hmm. he said, I thought he said, well, man, God did that. And God that used you bad. and you got to come back tonight. So I told Diane, I have to detention. I got to, they, they want me to, <laughs> yeah, they're gotta, in trouble. I got to work off this probation, <laughs> but that was my first church. And, wow. uh, and so I love the way you broke that down because I think, I think there'll be that recognition yeah. from others, That's but right. I, think, uh, I think you've got to be showing that you're teachable and you're hungry and you want your Completely. life. I think, yeah. think you've got to give them a vow, <laughs> yeah. you know, before others can yeah. <laughs> now shane you go on talk to, you know the basics about the need to abide in christ we all know yeah. folks that for some reason get burned out or disillusioned or hurt and that abiding walk with the lord is the secret uh, how is. do you handle that life on the road uh yeah i believe how many children do you have five is it we have six yeah six children and so i meant to ask you earlier tell me what god you did your family grew and next thing you know you're on abc news <laughs> being featured yes. what yeah. was tell us what breath i mean we all have children but yeah yeah you have your six so mm -hmm. what story on yeah that? yeah 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 so we have six kids that are 16 and under I always say that's a pro quest for sure uh i married way way over my head dr j i'm like you we we both married way over our head uh my wife's name is casey we've been married for 18 years and uh, yeah, our two oldest, 16 and 11, are our biological daughters, which just means they carry our DNA. Um, but we have a 10-year-old son from Uganda um, who is equally our, our son. And then we have uh, an eight-year-old son from Liberia and then a seven-year-old son and five-year-old daughter from uh, here in Texas. Yeah, our youngest, when we adopted her, we were in the process of adopting. So our oldest kids knew we were adopting again. But they didn't know we got the call the night before. It was a kind of an emergency situation. So we got the call the night before um, of a mom who tried to uh, parent her for three weeks and couldn't. So uh, it was quick. We approached our lawyer. We had to go judge everything quick. Um, and so we left early, early the next morning, uh, went through the, everything, and then we brought her home. And uh, we just videoed us walking in with her and the reactions of our oldest two daughters. Cause like I said, they knew we were adopting again, but they didn't know we got the call and they didn't know we were coming home with their baby sister. And so we just, uh, because it happened so fast, the only ones that knew about it were our immediate family. And so we put it, you know, a couple of days later, we put it on social media, almost like as a birth announcement. Um, and then uh, it was being shared by friends and family. And then I remember, in fact, it, that following Sunday, I was preaching at First Baptist Dallas and uh, I was in the room getting ready. And then I started getting all these calls and texts and going, hey, uh, Kurt Cameron just shared y'all's video. Tim Tebow just shared y'all's video. You know, uh, Little Wayne, the rapper, just shared y'all's video. You know, it's like, and so we were like, what in the world? And then the next day we were just flooded by interview requests and all those and and uh, i think my wife did like two of those or three of those with me and then she was like i just want to focus on my baby so the video just kind of went crazy viral and then we had an lot of opportunities to talk about adoption and point people to adoption every time in the interviews i would share why we adopted 
and about how the Lord had adopted us. And of course, that was cut out of a lot of interviews, but some of it, it kept it in. And Dr. J, what was interesting about that video, here's a really unique story. So we got flooded with tons of emails. It's amazing how people find your emails, you know, um, and we didn't even get a chance to read them all or respond to all. But one stood out where it was a guy that goes, uh, I have, you know, I'm an atheist and I am strongly opposed to organized religion. Um, but he goes, however, I can't deny the love I see in y'all's family and the fa in your daughter's eyes. Um, and uh, so I appreciate you sharing that. And I'm like, man, the Lord can pierce this hard heart with a, a baby and two little sisters, you know, um, that were excited about their sister and go, man, God is so good in that, you know. Yeah, that was uh, a very moving moment. And as, as the Lord does, he, uh, he uses things for his glory mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. helps penetrate those hearts. There's so much I could talk to you about, buddy, and I know you've got a lot going on. Uh, the one last question, uh, you got a chance to talk to every pastor about their youth pastors. Mm -hmm. uh, whenever I was asked that question, I would always say, dude, take your youth, invite your youth pastor to your home. Yeah. Every time I have youth pastors in my home, I promise you, if I, if it's 20 or 30, there'll be 15 that go, man, we've never, can I see your library? I've never been mm -hmm. in my pastor's Yeah. Home. Yeah. You know, or I've never been asked to play golf with my pastor. I've never. Yeah and ask over my wife and I to, for dinner. And I mean, you know, and, and so I always used to say, before we get into the weeds on what you should be talking to your youth minister about, dude, have them in your home. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Yeah. They are the key that this is the farm system, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, yeah. they have the heart and spirit and there's no telling how your ministry will be influenced by investing in your youth pastor. But what would you say to pastors uh, beyond a headshot like I tried to get? But what would you say to busy, busy pastors that may have already had three or four youth pastors and yeah. somebody else deals with them on staff? What, mm -hmm. what, what yeah, yeah, I would encourage lead pastors with this to go. You know, I think sometimes we if we go, um, maybe I'm an older lead pastor and my youth pastor is a young guy. We may think, oh, man, I have nothing in common with him or he doesn't want to hear from, an, you know, an older guy like me or he doesn't you know, really care about. That. Here, here's one of the true things that I think the vast majority of youth pastors do when they're trying to pray through saying yes to serving at your church as a lead pastor. Often one of the key factors of them saying yes is that they actually are wanting to come and learn from you, meaning whether they knew you beforehand or something sparked their interest in the interview process or the conversation that you had, or maybe the coffee you had where you were telling them about the church, there was something in them that sparked that they wanted to learn from you. And that's one of the major reasons they're there. And I think sometimes we don't consider that. And I'm here to tell you one of the major reasons a youth pastor says yes to being a youth pastor at your church, if you're the lead pastor, is they want to learn from you. They want to spend time with you. So take full advantage of that. And then also, I want to encourage lead pastors to also um, view your youth pastor as someone who has been called by God and equipped by God. Just statistics alone. Statistics alone tell us this, that 77%, I mean, wrap your mind around this. 77% of all Christians 
surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life before the age of 18. 77% before the age of 18. Now, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe God can save whom he wants when he wants. God saves people in their 80s and 90s all the time. But practically speaking, if we don't reach a generation, by the time they turn 18, we lose a whole generation. So look at your next-gen leaders, whether they're your collegiate leaders or your youth pastors or your children's pastors, whatever you have, volunteer leaders, whoever the next-gen leaders are in your, in your team or your staff or your church, don't see them as babysitters. Don't see them as hirelings. Don't see them primarily as entertainers to keep the teenagers busy. Don't see them even as distractors so that mom and dad can go to big church without them. Like see them primarily as evangelists, as disciple makers, and as missionaries to the next generation and honor them that way and empower them that way and coach them that way. Yeah. Man, what a powerful word. See, I take I take a headshot and then you then you come along and say something like that, you know. <laughs> Dr. J, you're my hero, man. Oh, man. I just want to be like when I grow up. Hey, listen, when you get my age, you know, but anyway, back in the day, that's when real ministry (laughs) happened. But one last question. Great word to the past. What do you say to the youth pastor right now? Look him in the eye and just say, maybe he's listening or maybe he's watching, uh, or maybe they're sitting in a class studying youth, but you have an opportunity to give a word to all those youth pastors, what would you say to them? Yeah, it goes back to, you were talking about the embodying in Christ chapter. You know, Jay, what's interesting, and I think maybe it have been a little surprising with people, the response to that book has been overwhelming. Like we knew we were stepping into a void. We didn't realize how big the void was. Uh, B&H is telling us that they've never had a ministry book like that respond that quickly with just people responding to it in the bulk, you know, and people passing out and all that. So God be the glory. But one thing that people have said in that is they go, you know, this, this is almost like a spiritual disciplines book. And we're like, yes, exactly. Because I believe the most important thing you can do as a leader is to walk deeply with Jesus, to remind ourselves before the Lord ever gave us any titles, before the Lord ever gave us any positions, before the Lord put our name on a business card or on a church sign or a website, he just called us to follow his son, Jesus. So I think, We'll always be at our best when we're preaching, leading, discipling, serving, loving out of the overflow of our own worship of King Jesus. And what we need to do when young people surrender to a calling of ministry, that's the first thing we need to do in discipleship is to teach them to walk deeply with Jesus, to teach them how to pray, to teach them how to be in the word, the spiritual disciplines. Because I think what we tend to do in leadership, whether it's with ourselves or when we're duplicating other leaders, is we tend to want to run to the gifts and talents, go, hey, let's find out what your gifts and talents are. You know, let's take this inventory. Let's figure out what your leadership aptitude is. Let's find your leadership lid and let's expand that. And all those things are good. But I think if we're not careful what we can do to ourselves in that and what we do to others is we create a bunch of gifted and talented people. And then those gifts and talents will put them on stages and platforms that their character and integrity is not ready for because they didn't take the time to learn how to walk deeply with Jesus. And here's the thing, you can't shortcut that. The only way to walk deeply with Jesus is time, baby, time with the Lord. And so you can't shortcut that. So I think that's where we get in some of our issues with burnout or failures or, I mean, leaders even walking away from the faith is sometimes we get on stages and platforms because our our gifts and talents got us there 
and not that character and integrity. One of the greatest pieces of advice I ever got was this. I was a youth pastor. I was 25 at the time, newly married. And the greatest piece of advice I got was this as a youth pastor is, hey, pastor your wife first, love her first. If you lose your family, you lose your ministry anyway, like take care of your family. And then the second thing was this, you focus on the depth of your ministry and let the Lord take care of the width and platform. And I think if we're not careful in our flesh, we're always trying to figure out how to get on the platform, right? How do I preach that event? Or how do I get invited to speak at that? Or how do I get a bigger following on social media? Or how do I even get a bigger ministry? And we're always thinking of the platform. Let the Lord take care of that. You just walk deeply with the Lord. You focus on the depth of your ministry. Let the Lord take care of the width and platform. If somebody once said it like this, it's so true. If the light on you outshines the light in you, then eventually the light on you will burn you up. So just make sure the light in you is outshining any light that's on you. Yeah. You know, you're a show off. That's all I can say. <laughs> you're just showing off. Man, what a word, buddy. In all seriousness, uh, the book comes across uh, just like this uh, interview. The book mm. comes across, and that's unusual for the book. But, uh, uh, I've had several say, you got to read it. And then, of course, you know, we try to get a bunch of pastors to to read it uh, recently. And uh, their response was, wow, you know, be the and, Lord. Uh, you. you know, so I can't wait to see what all the Lord does with you and your family and your beautiful wife. And uh, y'all are all in it together. Yes, and, sir. Uh, I know. I know what it's like to pay the price and you're gone from them mm -hmm. uh, for some of these opportunities that folks go, wow, wow. You know, and in your heart, you're going, man, I love this Lord and please use me and let me get home as, as soon as I can. You know, I'm, there's a price that yeah, you pay. Right. And um, so anyway, I pray for you. I'm very grateful for you and I praise God for you, buddy. I love you, Dr. J. And thank you, man. You, you have set the example for so many of us to follow and to watch. So thank you. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for pouring in to leaders. Um, thank you for pouring into a generation and you've done it for generations. So thank you so much, um, man. I love you, brother. And I'm thankful for you. Yeah. Thank you, man. Well, man, now, now we're talking. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, hey Dr. J, listen, when my, when my grandfather, he said when he was eight years old, he would always go and hear this preacher and he said it was Jay Strack and it was his favorite. <laughs> okay. Payback is uh, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I and love you, you know man. You I would really get upset if that wasn't probably true. So, uh, no, no, I'm just kidding, man. <laughs> okay. Well, that was very hurtful. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. The Lord heals, uh, man. I'm yeah. sorry. No, I'm playing. <laughs> hey, Shane Pruitt, God's man, calling out the call and calling this generation. Keep on, my brother. Hey, love you, friend. Thanks. Thank you, buddy. Let me turn. Hey, this. that was fun, man. That was great. You know, Shane, of all the things you're doing, personally, I'm so grateful uh, for the commitment you're making. You're speaking at our Lyft tours. And you're speaking, I think, at uh, all but one of our youth pastor summits. And uh, we're privileged to try to have about 8,000 or more youth pastors 
to come and we spend two days with them and we really try hard to have before them those that uh, uh, can bring the heat and those that can feed them and those that can challenge them and most of all those they want to hear and mm -hmm. so we're very very pumped you're coming to the youth pastor summits uh i've got it right here so let me uh make it real clear we got you in dallas and nashville mm -hmm. and uh, california and orlando mm -hmm. coming up for yes, the sir. youth pastor summit so if you would go to the youth pastor summit website or go to SLU Lead website. It'll have the dates. It's two days for you and a couple of your key youth staff to come. So I hope you'll come take advantage of that. I'll look forward to meeting you. Our entire team will be there, Bryn and Jeff. And uh, we've got some incredible special guests. Uh, and Shane is certainly one of the key pieces to what we're doing. So I hope you'll come and join us. How many have you been to the Youth Pastor Summit? How many times now? Oh gosh, many times. So I went whenever I was serving at the local church, and then have been able to go and just and be a part of it myself and learn. And so, listen, I, I'm saying this truthfully, friends that are listening. No one is reaching and equipping more youth pastors than SOU and YPS and Jay Strack and Brent Crow and Jeff Wallace and that whole team. Listen, they are the best of the best. And so when they invited me to come run this race with them, uh, you know, I, Jay, you always want to do the spiritual thing and say, I'll pray about it. But it was one of those things, Lord, you're going to have to tell me no, because I've been waiting for this opportunity to run this race with, with these great leaders. And so listen, friends, if you've already been going to Lift Tour and YPS, you already know how amazing it is. Um, but if you've never been before, make it a high priority. Listen, this will be a time of encouraging inspiration, but also a time of equipping, because I think sometimes in ministry, you can feel alone. What's great about these is you get to look around and go, I'm not alone. My God is with me. And there's other men and women who are running this race that are like-minded, that are trying to reach, disciple, mobilize a generation for the glory of God. So get there. And it is the best investment you can make is getting there and spending time uh, with these leaders. Man, I should have led with that. <laughs> thank you for that you know the yeah, man. Year, uh, Shane and I know you'll pray for this but one of the things I'm the most excited about is uh the Lord's given a great staff that uh will keep SLU relevant mm. and growing and yeah. going yeah uh, Lord willing for you know so far we've been going 28 years so we're yeah can't wait to see but the lord's given us great leadership but the no doubt I love and admire the most about brent crow and jeff wallace is uh they're passionate about giving an invitation yeah and they are when we yeah. do the lift tour to have yep. Yep. someone that is a harvester and yeah passionate about now yeah. uh, obviously we've got teaching and ministry of course yeah praise and work, all the other components that are not add-ons that are all essential, yep. but we do try on the lift tour to be in, unfortunately it's becoming rarer and rarer. Yeah, it is. Gathering yeah. Where we give an invitation uh, to not only give your heart and life to Jesus yep. and to fight with God, but we also give a public invitation. Here's a phrase I want you to write down. 
Okay. Calling out the call. Write that down. Yep. Calling yep. out. Will you do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, um, yeah, first of all, let me affirm what you're saying about Brent and Jeff. Those guys are incredible. Uh, their love uh, for the Lord, their love for leaders, they're strategic and intentional. But what I also love about those guys is they're team players. You know what I mean? It'd be so easy because like the Lord's got his hand on y'all. Like, and I mean this, no one's doing it like y'all into the scale of y'all. So it'd be very easy to go, oh, now we're just going to kind of keep it to ourselves. But the way y'all invite others in, you know, inviting us in and the way y'all invite Ben and Lifeway students in, it's like the, the team player aspect of that is so uh, refreshing and sometimes so rare, unfortunately. But you guys are incredible team players. I love that. But yeah, calling out the call. So let me tell you what Jeff did. He called and he goes, hey, man, here's kind of how the four sessions of Live Tour break down. And he goes, session one and four is like, he goes, one is like a, a gospel proclamation invitation. And then four is like, hey, go live this out. Go live on mission, calling out the call. And he goes, I really feel like those two would be in your wheelhouse. Are you okay doing those? And I'm like, yes, I would love to. So <laughs> even Jeff thinking strategically like that going, hey, here's what we're trying to accomplish. We feel like this would be right in your wheelhouse. Would you do that? I love that. Like, I'm just so like excited and refreshed by that. So I'm excited to be a part of it. So yeah, those absolutely. So Jeff had kind of already talked to me about the evangelistic side of it, but also that uh, go and send out and the calling out the call side of it too. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I hope all our yeah. pastors and youth pastors will check out the lift tour and yeah. the youth pastor summits. And you know, the thing about the team concept is there's some programs where Jeff is the whole, pa I mean, you know, he mm -hmm. puts sure. it together. Yes. Then the next year, Brent will be the one doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Now and then they let me do something. But, <laughs> you know, so it's exciting that uh, uh, there really is, uh, it's not, hey, who's going to get the credit? It's no. what do we have to do to get the job done? And then to be able to have uh, other dynamic uh, men and women come in that God's got his hand on. Uh, that's one of the greatest uh, things we do is get to partner with others and seeing come to know Christ and together, I think we can put a dent in the universe, but I don't think any of, any of us will do it by ourselves. Well, as you know, Dr. Day, I'm around a lot of leaders and a lot of next gen leaders. And anytime you, Brent, Jeff, come up, YPS, SLU, all the way around, it's always positive. So wow. I just want you to know y'all's reputation out there is extremely positive. Um, and man, I know God gets all the glory in that, but thank y'all for being faithful. It comes through y'all's faithfulness too. Yeah. Thank you, buddy. Hey man, appreciate you more than you know. Look hey, grateful for you, Dr. J. To meeting your family someday. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, since I've seen you on TV now, you know. <laughs> Take care, buddy. Thanks for seeing right, you. See you, buddy. Thank you. And thank you for listening to There's Always a Way with Dr. J. Strack. If you enjoyed today's episode, share it with a friend by taking a screenshot and posting it to your story or tagging us on Instagram or Twitter at the letter J. Strack 007. If you haven't yet, we'd love for you to rate and review the podcast. Because of you, others are able to be encouraged and equipped by these incredible episodes.